Welcome to the Small Business Podcast. We bring you weekly information, practical skills, and mentorship from industry professionals. This podcast is powered by T, an initiative that has directly impacted over 50,000 plus small businesses nationwide. This podcast is for small business owners who want to start, run, and grow their business. Follow us on all our social media platforms. Hashtag join us for T. Every Wednesday is a new podcast. Good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are joining the show today. Bulelani Balabala here, I'm your host. And thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we promise you information, learning, and I don't know whether to say fun, but you'll be totally engaged throughout the podcast. Today I'm joined in studio. I'm joined in studio by a well-accomplished, amazing lady. I think when I read the bio, I had to go out and... uh, take a bit of a break and come back and read again. And I killed over my chair because a very well-accomplished lady who's done extremely well for herself. Uh, Vumilam Sueli is the founder of Hesed Consulting, a pan-African coaching firm with presence in Botswana, South Africa, Rwanda, Nigeria, and the United States of America. She has successfully led her teams globally, remotely, and been able to effectively adapt during these unprecedented times um, throughout the pandemic whilst growing her business. Um, she's the voice behind the world of work with Vumi Careers feature on Botswana Duma FM as well as South Africa's Kai FM. She's been featured on international media outlets including CNBC Africa, Business Day, Business Day Nigeria and ENCA Ghana. Um, the profile goes on and on but we'll sort of unpack other parts of um, her profile as we engage this dynamic, dynamic lady. Global Entrepreneurship Month, Entrepreneurship Month, and we kick it off with you. How are you? Yay! (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited for our conversation. How are you doing? No, I'm great. Vumi, man, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, I guess maybe Vumi before the work, the sort of build up to the sort of, I don't know, the, the sort of work career and the business. So I am Vumilam Sueli. I come from the smallest township in the Southern Hemisphere, fun fact, Chestavili, which is in Kozuru Natal in South Africa. I am an only child. I'm a friend. I, uh, I love, love paint by numbers. I'm loving that at the moment. I love to travel. Fun fact, I've been to over 60 countries in the world, so I really love to travel. Um, I'm an avid reader and I'm a passionate career coach. So I suppose that's Vumi the woman. And I mean, so sort of linking it to the career coaching work that you do, what sort of sparked that? Where did you, I mean, did you get a career coach earlier on in your sort of growth journey, helping you helping you out? Or is it something that you sort of picked out as you sort of climbed up this corporate ladder and then much later on start your, starting your own um, entity? So I found myself at the age of 24 sitting at Extended Exco And I looked around and I was the youngest, I was the only black, I was the only woman. And I felt very, very uh, intimidated, I suppose, imposter syndrome set in. And I I remember speaking to my then CEO saying, listen, I need some support. Like, I'm really battling, you know, psychologically. And I got given a coach. And speaking to this coach, they had no idea my frame of reference. And I got very, very frustrated. I'm like, this person is thinking, oh, I can imagine how that feels. But they've never been in a boardroom. They don't get the corporate politics. They don't understand the dynamics. And I remember thinking, why can't I find another coach who's like me? And I searched and I couldn't find one. And I thought, hmm. There's a gap in the market. I think when I'm done with corporate, this could be a potential uh, revenue stream for me. And I started doing it whilst in corporate when I was building my business. And I suppose the business grew word of mouth where people were like, oh, she's done it. You know, she can assist. Oh, these are some of the challenges. And that's where my sort of executive coaching experience evolved into becoming me becoming a, a full-time career coach. And I mean, just just tracking a bit back, um, what 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 sort of career path did you sort of take for yourself? Yeah, uh, so I studied accounting. I know <laughs> when I say that, people are like you accounting, Johnny babes. <laughs> but I studied accounting sciences, and I was I was said I was, was going to become a chartered accountant. 
And then I started doing accounting and I think it became very clear how we were not compatible. So I studied accounting, did my honors in finance and of course um, moved to the city of Josie to to start working at the bank. And I worked at um, a small private bank at the time at, at the call center. That's where I started. And I was loving operations. Mm. I loved strategy and that's where my career really began. From there, I... Worked at Barclays in the UK for a bit, came back home, uh, did some work at, at, at another bank, uh, FNB here in South Africa, looking after client services. And um, I recall thinking to myself, okay, so let's do the MBA, get the corporate thing out of the way. And I thought I'd stay in banking. And then Vodafone came knocking. And they're like, listen, come run Africa for us, do some service strategy and ops. And I thought, oh, I don't want to move back to the UK. And they said, no, 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 you can work from anywhere on the continent. What a pleasure. So that's what I did for a few years before, you know, finally leaving. And my my, my plan was always at 30, I leave. So at 30, I run my own shop full time. So that was sort of the career path I found myself on. And I mean... So when you sort of, sorry, <clears throat> I think from a career, sorry, so I think from a career selection path, do you sort of feel like you chose the right career when you started with accounting at the time? No. Or do you sort of feel like had you gotten Evomile at the time, you would have been better I suited to choose? Coming from where I was coming from, it wasn't a luxury of choice. Yeah. It was, you got a scholarship, Pricewaterhouse is paying for you, you're going. So it wasn't a case of, oh, what what feels right? It was, yeah. you know your background, you know what needs to get done. So I think, and that's often the, a challenge, right? Is do you pursue your passion over the purse, knowing your own financial or economic reality? And the reality of being African at times is that you have to pursue one in order to get to the other. And I think a lot of people feel, specifically coming out of matric, that that their career decision is a marriage and it's not because you're going to evolve you're going to change you're going to have various roles so for me I started in accounting and if I look at what I do now I probably should have studied psychology that would have made more sense mm. but there's no way I would have mm. chosen that path at that time not with the options I had to, uh, open to me and I mean so I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of thinking here while chatting to you, right? Because that is the type of conversations that quite a number of people have with themselves to say, well, when I weigh it out on the scale, what should I go with? Should I go with my skills and competencies? Because I think when you're an individual growing up, you've got these set of skills and competencies, whether they're physical or whether they're I don't know. It's 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 mental. You're very smart, and that might not necessarily necessarily all the time go with the career path that you're sort of choosing for yourself. How then do I then sort of then map out? Because I think the conversation around the purpose of the purse is one, and I sort of want to unpack that further. Mm. But I mean, is there sort of a matrix or that I utilize, that I should be utilizing and sort of mapping out where I should be going? So the, the, where we find ourselves now, which is quite interesting, which wasn't where we were in the, in the world of work, I'd say when I was starting out, is we are in the gig economy. You can be a DJ by night and a CA by day. You can express, you know, various interests. So I'm about, it's not the either or, but more in the shades of gray of and. So how can you utilize both? So I look at my accounting background now and, it's, and my financial planning background, and I use part of that in my career coaching. And the fun drama side of me that I wanted to, oh, I could have been a lawyer, I should have been an actress. I get to play with in my speaking part of my business. So you can start finding various revenue streams to keep yourself engaged using your natural talents and abilities. But I don't think you should be so married to the idea that you have to select one. It's not a la carte. It's more of a buffet. You can get to nibble on different aspects of yourself at different times. And you know, one of the things I sort of, I loved or rather I love that you sort of spoke about now is not being married to the career path and allowing you to change. And I think we could be talking career, but I think in the entrepreneurial space, it's one of the biggest challenges that we that we sort of experience because of one's, I don't know, in uh, one's sort of closely endowed relationship with a business. You know, you add it for 15, 16 years, but you find someone who would say, I'm not going to. I can't let this thing go. 
you know, mm. and it's a conversation around when is the right time to say, I'm going to jump ship. Am I going to jump ship to a new company or I'm going to go out there and start my own thing or even take a gap year or whatsoever the case, a gap career year. Is there mm. such a thing as the right time when you're trying to decide when you're going to jump and how even to jump? Because I've heard the individuals who say, no, only jump when you get another opportunity. And the ones who say, nah, I'm fed up, I'm out. So it depends on your risk appetite, right? So I'm an accountant by trade. So I'm going to say, once you've secured the bag elsewhere, do so. And it really does depend on your own career strategy. It's not a one size fits all. So for me, I jumped knowing that I'm going into full-time entrepreneurship. But I've been doing the entrepreneurship thing as a side hustle since I was 22. So by the time I left, I'd, I'd already had over eight years experience in entrepreneurship. I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. So it was a, it was very much a part of my my career strategy. So when you leave is dependent on your strategy, never on your emotions. When you're jumping based on your emotions, you're running. And if you're running, something's chasing you. It will catch you. Mm. But when you're walking away from something that no longer serves you, that's a different conversation. A lot of us try to act like we're walking away, but in essence, we are running. And then we get there and we find another narcissistic boss, find another toxic work environment. And then we're in this constant state of chasing something that we haven't planned for or prepared for. So I think that's when you should actually walk away. You walk away from an opportunity when it's part of your plan. Not when you are being chased out. That's one. From a co from a gap year perspective, I think it is dependent on what you spend that gap year doing. Um, and if you're buying yourself time, for me it's interesting. It means one, you're buying yourself time because usually you don't know what it is that you're wanting to do. So then I'm going to question what have you been doing for the past five years to get to know yourself better and expose yourself better to other things. If it's a case of you know what, for me I'm actually I'm doing it to travel. Then I'm like, Psh, you don't have to tell me twice. That makes sense. Life experience is important. But I really do think that it, you, you have to look at your intention. And a lot of us aren't intentional. We tend to be reactionary. So I caution against that. And it, so there's a, there's a number of things um, in what you mentioned now. But I think the one that I sort of want to land on is... A lot of the time, so there's obviously a lot of perceptions. And I think the nice thing here is that you had an eight-year head start mm. as opposed to majority of individuals who sort of just get their, conjure up the, the sum up the, the, the courage while they're in corporate or working wherever and they start their own business, right? What was the transition like? Now, obviously, you would have this experience of being an entrepreneur or running a business or assisting in the family business. Now you're running your own business. What was the transition like into running your own business? Because I know that quite a number of things I perceived from afar was a big shock. I'd had to delay the gratification mm. for a number of years before seeing the fruits of whatever I'd put in and how it started totally different from where it is now 15 years later yeah that's definitely the reality of entrepreneurship right um it was a huge transition for me so one i had several businesses that i was running whilst working right i had property i had had started has said where i was doing the coaching thing the biggest transition for me was releasing the power of the brand that comes with being an executive when I am, hi, I'm Vum Sueli. I'm the client services partner for Africa at Vodafone. You take my meeting. Hi, I'm Vum Sueli. I'm head of business support at Barclays. You take my meeting. Hi, I'm Vum Sueli. I'm the CEO of Hesed. Hey, what's that? Mm. Uh, please speak to my PA. Let's see when we can slot you in. Mm. So losing the power of the brand, I did not realize would have such an impact when I chose to go solo. That was the first thing. The second was the timing factor. And, you know, a lot of people, when they ask me, how long is it going to take? I always say times everything by three. How much money you think you need times by three. How much time you think it's going to take you times by three. Because obviously in every person's business plan, oh, you're profitable by year three. Year one even sometimes in the fantasy. But it's so, so different. And I think I did this without being aware by diversifying best thing i ever did for myself but i wish i'd done it earlier on what do you mean diversifying my business interests yeah so property is great 
It's awesome. But then life happens and your tenants can't pay. Now you've got no revenue, but you still have to pay the bank. Mm. That's a challenge. Mm. Then you are now saying, okay, you're starting said, and all of a sudden your clients have, their wallet share has decreased. You didn't think of a corporate strategy. You were reliant on, I was reliant on individual clients. The revenue shrunk. I didn't see that coming. Uh, when I started with my retail business, I thought, oh, well, how long is it going to take a license? Well, Google it. It's going to take three months. It took 18 months. And I had to still be paying rent for those 18 months. Mm. So things never go according to plan. And even if you plan for the worst, you can't. You don't know what the worst is because it's coming. I remember even with my Uber business, having to let that go. And I was like, you, they're coming to repossess the cars. Yeah, it's real, eh? Like literally I went from having three cars to walking. So all of those things are things you can't necessarily plan for. But what then, you know, the grit, the resilience of what do you want becomes important. And for me, you know, we all have different personality types. But for me, multitasking, wearing different hats allows me to express myself better and challenge and stimulate me better. So for me, that worked a lot, uh, worked in my favor to say, oh, this business is battling. Which one can I work on so long that that is going to keep me mentally stimulated? And because all, all my businesses have very different strategies and roles that they play, some are just for capital purposes to help the big idea. Because I'm also, unfortunately, you know, I come from the banks. So I don't really believe in funding. Um, I don't believe in credit. So everything I've done, I've bootstrapped. So it's, it's scary. The, the things that you think about and plan for never happen. I remember when I moved to Nigeria to open the business there. I was like, oh, no, it'll be three to six months. A year later, I was still there, not profitable. So or, so it takes time. It takes time to build business. So I'm now, I'm now very curious, right? Um, maybe just to rewind a little bit back. What, what was the family business? And what, rather, what role did you have? And what were you doing there? In the family business? Yeah. I didn't do anything in our family business. I still don't. Really? No, I don't. The eight years before? That was, that was your my own business, initiative. yeah. Well, what were those? Property. Really? Yeah, I got into property at the age of 22. How did you get into property at the age of 22? I come from a family where we do property. Okay. So okay. when I, so I worked for a year or two, saved up money, got my first deposit. And a lot of people, you know, my peers were buying cars. I bought property. Where did you get that from? Because from the norm the norm is I gratify now, I deal with the consequences later. No, my grandfather was like, Vumil, you are going to be a tenant. You. <laughs> and I thought to myself, how embarrassing. Because, you know, I come from a family where month end we sit, we don't go anywhere because people are coming to pay rent. Mm. So for me to be on the other side paying somebody else's rent, my grandfather was like, are you crazy? So for me, that that comment made me renting and not an option without having my own asset. So so then I purchased the property. Obviously, I worked at banks. So I got great rates. Um, it did mean that I didn't have a car. It did mean that as opposed to, you know, living in Sunny Hill, which was nice when my mom was paying, I now moved to a back room in Bligari in a little one room mm. with a two-plate stove mm. because that that allowed me to save an extra two, three thousand rand month on rent so that's what i did but i'm also very much a person who looks at the long term i don't focus on you is it, is it lit now i'd rather be happier and comfortable in the long term than you know enjoying spending money now that's just never been in my personality that's not how i was raised yeah, no, that's, that's, ladies and gentlemen, I'm with Vumile Mswili. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think I'm intrigued by your sort of career journey, right? But I think there's something you sort of latch onto there. In and around, you don't believe in funding. I share the same sentiments. Um, and you sort of bootstrapped. Mm. Um, how do you do that, right? So how do you do that? I think for the sake and benefit of the entrepreneurs listening, because I think for me, what I've always said to entrepreneurs is that you bootstrap and you start, but at every level of growth, you're going to have to go back to the same bootstrapping strategies mm. or find better strategies because you don't just do it once and then you sort of no. throw in the towel and then you sort of step back. It's a constant journey up until you get to whatever your growth spur is. So for me, I, so my career strategy was a capital gathering exercise in itself. 
So I knew that what I studied and the organizations I chose to work for were to gather as much capital as possible. That's one thing. The second thing is I did not live above my means. I remember I only got a German car when I owned five properties. Everyone else at that time was already on to their second or third. I just didn't do that. So living below your means helps a lot. At the time, people think it's embarrassing. You feel like you're, but my friends, the pressure, that wasn't the, that wasn't the long-term plan for me. So that's one, is being willing, like you spoke about, delayed gratification in order to bootstrap. But also my strategies for all my businesses help fund. So there's some businesses I own and I run, not because they're a passion. They're purely a capital gathering exercise for expansion. So that's been my own career strategy for my businesses. So I think a lot of people tend to, and this is a challenge, I call them survival entrepreneurs where you're just doing anything to survive. And it's difficult to survive and strategize at the same time because they require different aspects of our ourselves. And I think also because I come from a family that is very entrepreneurial. You know, my granddad had a fourth grade education, yet he he was into property, butcheries, all these things. So I think also growing up in a home where you're seeing it happen and you're seeing it roll out, you're seeing him leave the taxi business and transition into other businesses. You're sitting there when, with the family lawyers when they're making deals and things are happening. It allows you to think the long game, mm. never the mm. short game. And I think a lot of us are thinking the short game as opposed to what, what am I going to need in, in four years' time, in five years' time? Yeah. So one of the things I like there is that when you sort of look at, when you sort of were unpacking how you're looking at your career, the companies that you chose to work for were capital, I'm um, sorry, capital gaining exercise. Mm. Do you sort of, because I sometimes look at a, quite a number of people and peers, rather peers, and I say to myself, well, you could be doing so much more because you're in the right space. And looking at the financial systems, right, mm. you would be able to gain more. I think whether it's property or whatsoever, mm. other avenues and being able to gain access to capital to invest in upcoming entities. Do you sort of feel like that sometimes when you look at peers? Yeah, because people aren't, a lot of people are not having a strategy for their career. They just don't. They, they, they simply allow their careers to happen to them. Then they wake up one day and they say, ah, I'm frustrated. I should be an entrepreneur. Not realizing you just went from the pot into the fire. So that's one thing. A lot of people don't consider their career strategy. A lot of people also don't realize that capital isn't only monetary. Capital is also networks. Ca capital is credibility. It's reputation. It's a number of things. And they're not actively exercising the skills that are required to be a successful entrepreneur. If you don't know how to maximize costs in your current employer's place and you think you're going to become an entrepreneur and do it for the first time in yours, you've missed the boat. Mm. For me, corporate is a university that allows you to study for free and play for free with somebody else's money. So I, that's what I was doing in corporate. So by the time I got into mine, I was saving myself millions. Because I got to play. I got to be like, oh, so if we do things like this in Congo, yeah, it might not work. Okay, let's focus again in Nigeria. Those decisions I could play and execute using somebody else's dime. Sure, that's so. <laughs> the pause there was so I'm taking notes because you're <laughs> dropping amazing gems that I definitely want to quote. Um, in the blurb after the podcast, and then you know, I guess on other social spaces, what then becomes the best strategy, or is there such a thing as the sort of the best career strategy? Um, because I guess with each and every individual is going to be bespoke, but are there basic themes that I need to sort of ask myself? or pick out in developing my own strategy so that I've got a solid strategy? Yeah, so it's about where do you want to be? Your destination determines your means of transport because that's what a strategy is, right? It's about how you're going to get there. So, you know, to be practical, if we're saying, oh, my destination is Cape Town, yet you're acting like you're walking towards Cape Town as opposed to let me hit Lanseria or Tambo and fly there from Johannesburg, you're going to get frustrated. So that's the first thing. The hardest, hardest question is what do you want? 
We know what we don't want, but what do you want? Funani, as we would say. Because knowing what you want then puts you in a space to having to figure out how to get there. That determines mm. your strategy. Mm. And I always say to people, guys, when, when people come to me for career coaching, Vumi, I don't want my boss. I don't want this experience. You can't, you literally cannot, we close to one of my favorite restaurants. You can't go to Jamelis. Said, uh, but I don't want pasta. Okay, what do you want? Do mm. you want a steak? Mm. Um, do you want pork chops? Do you want lamb? Do you want pizza? Knowing what you don't want is great. It's a process of elimination of the first option, but it doesn't tell us what we want. And I think the challenge with even figuring that out is it means then you have to expose yourself to people who are there. We mm. want the experience of what those people have, but not the responsibility. Mm. Oh, we mm. all want to be Steve Jobs. It's lit. But are you willing to sacrifice and live in a garage and do everything that it takes to be there? then that's another conversation altogether. And then, I mean, so when you're sort of engaging um, your mentees and individuals that you're assisting through career coaching, um, do you sort of feel like that is the one of the one of the major things that sort of comes out is that the person knows what they don't want and but mm -hmm. primarily doesn't know what they actually want? And then, I mean, how, how easy is that? How easy is it for them to sort of then open themselves up to unpacking what they actually want. So it is more prevalent than you think. So on average, if I look at my coaches, we work for about two to three months purely on what it is that they want. And that for me, I recall having um, a recent one, one of my recent coaches was ready to, uh, to shut down a, a CEO opportunity. She's like, no, I don't think it's right for me. And then we did the exercise. I was like, just... Ask, ask for a month and we did the exercise. Then she realized that the role she was about to shut down was the next option for her to open up her own business. Mm. So the perspective shifted, right? And I love Marianne Williamson, one of my favorite authors, when she says a miracle is a shift in perspective. So her perspective shifted where she was seeing it as extra work and I don't want to be an employee to, oh, snap, this is an opportunity, that allows me to better position for where it is that I'm wanting to be. Because that's also now a patience game, right? Because you're saying, I, I'm, I figured out what I want, but I can't get there next week. Mm. I, I now realize that it's probably going to be a two-year journey. But now I'm committed because I know what I want. So I'm ready to deal with the stuff that's not fun. That's mm. not easy. Mm. But at least I'm en route to the destination of my dreams. And then I mean, sorry. And then I mean, when you in your engagements with your coaches, I've never ever used that word in my entire life. It feels <laughs> weird, but I'm learning. That's the thing about the platform. You learn, and I've learned so many amazing things from you just in this session, right? Um, what are some of the, I guess, I'd say misconceptions, right, in and around? coaches because i would assume that the way in which you're doing it in actual fact is totally different from how majority of coaches sort of do it mm. because i think the sort of the sort of the sort of engagements i've had in the past it's more reliant on it, it's it's you know it's wash and fluff yeah as opposed to this which is literally hitting the nail on the head but also directing it in the mm. right path so when you're engaging with these coaches what are some of the misconceptions that you oh, sort of pick wow. up so a lot of people think i'm a mentor which I'm always like, no, babes, I'm not. Um, so there's a, there's, there's a misconception that as a career coach, I'm either an industrial psychologist, so I'm helping you just choose your career. And I'm like, no, I help you get from where you are to where you want to be in your career. That's the majority of the work that I do. And I help you with skills that you don't even realize you might be missing. You might be the best at what you do and nobody knows it because you don't understand career positioning. You don't speak well in public. No one likes you. Mm. And that's the issue and that's mm. what we work on. So what strategies and practical techniques are you going to take into a meeting next week to start repositioning? Um, you know, I work with some execs in listed companies where they're like, oh, for me, um, our results are coming out. I need to be able to speak well. And all we do for six weeks is, is work on, on the media. How, how are you showing up from a media perspective? How do you keep information and keep likability whilst connecting with others? So that's one misconception. The mentor one makes me laugh because I always say the difference between a coach and a mentor is 
if Ronaldo or Messi, whoever you think is a fantastic or better player, comes to you and says, listen, this is how I became a success. No, use this agent to make more money. Join this team. They're telling you their experience based on their own talent. Mm. That's a mentor. Even if he tells you, no, 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 don't drink Coca-Cola, drink water. You might not ever play like him. But you can learn some techniques from, from him to make you successful. That's the job of a mentor. A coach is the guy they blame when the entire team is failing. Mm. It's when you've got the talent, everything should be happening, but it's not happening because you don't have someone outside of the game of life or the game of career, the game of business that you're playing saying to you, nah, but that's not going to work. This is the strategies you should be employing because they've helped thousands like you. Yeah. That's a coach. So for me, I won't necessarily say, oh, this is what worked for me. I can borrow from that because there are some coaches, there are some coaches who were former players. But the majority of our conversation is going to be based on what I've seen play out in the States, play out in Nigeria, play out a number of times where the, where the, the universal rules apply. And then, I mean, one of the biggest things I've sort of picked out, whether it's corporate or entrepreneurship, is that is a sort of challenge in being people. I don't know if it's the imposter syndrome. No, it's not the imposter syndrome. That's a totally different question I'm going to throw to you. But... It's how people don't, you know, own their work. Mm. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things, I mean, we did, I think we did a workshop for women specifically, and we had never done anything like that. But I think for us, it was specifically to say, every boardroom I've ever presented in, the smartest people in the room were women. The people that led those teams are women. But you'd find that the the two or three males that are there in the room of 30 are the ones who are boldly presenting themselves as the head haunches in the room. Mm. Do you find that that's some of the themes that you sort of pick out with um, some of your coaches or individuals across the board? And how do I then sort of start to break out of that and boldly, I don't know if it's defend or present or own my work? Mm. So I think men are blessed with testosterone. It's a confidence booster. It's the reason why, you know, if they get lost, they are comfortable saying, no, 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 we're en route, we're en route. Whilst, and this is also a fantastic phenomenon, and I usually, I call it the Trump effect, right? A man will see that he qualifies for 40% of what is required and he'll apply. A woman, on average, will not apply until she, she feels that she meets 80% of the criteria. Hmm. And that is when you put yourself at, at a disadvantage. So th that's a lot of the work I do, specifically with my female coaches, is how do you learn to position yourself better? And even how do you use the resources around you if you're uncomfortable speaking up for yourself? Because I was shocked at what I was able to get away with in corporate because I just started playing like a man without losing my femininity. Mm, so mm. a lot of times I feel like we think we need to forfeit our femininity in order to be successful. And that's that's not true. Like I, I look at my family, I see how my mom could get my dad to do anything without losing her femininity, without even raising her voice. So that's a power of negotiation. That's a power of selling and positioning. But somehow we think it stops when we walk into the boardroom. Mm, mm. We can still be both. So it, it, there is some mental hurdles that we have to overcome. But it's interesting to me because there's some mental hurdles that happen from a, an ethnic perspective, a race perspective, a cultural perspective that we quickly adapt to. Like I remember when I was in the UK, there were so many Africans. But the moment we hit Canary Wharf... We all were like, okay, we're here to play. We do not leave the sunshine of Africa to come play games here. Mm, mm. And we just got into beast mode. But we can do that there. But then when it's like, oh, okay, now I'm back home. Now it's like, oh, let me know. The same rules can apply. It's one of the reasons some people are successful and some are not. And I think you do yourself that disservice if you don't learn those skills. Because all of this is, is, is it's a skill set. The reason some of the gentlemen you spoke about are confident and can act like head honchos is they've probably been in rooms where they've seen their fathers do that mm. and it was accepted. Mm. 
so they thought it was normal and they reenacted as as women specifically south african women we're going into spaces where we actually haven't seen that mm. and i know a lot of people will be like oh we've had democracy for like 25 years yeah you know a lot of the successful guys in business it's different it's very different to acquiring a business by be transaction as opposed to building one from scratch yeah totally the skill set required for those two are different mm. one is being able to be a great chairperson of the board the other is like you you are you comfortable in cement are you comfortable building from the ground up mm. and we haven't had a long time to view that process and if we look retrospectively if we're looking at um companies like shoprite companies like um apsa those guys had to build because when they came in the brits had taken over everything and the afrikaans kids were like ah it's like this and it took them a while to get a model that worked and this is where we see large business now and we're arriving to the party and we're like oh but no it should happen because we're the microwave generation those aren't the rules of engagement mm. and you can see the difference in mindset it's always fascinating to me to see the difference in entrepreneurial mindset when i'm sitting in in abuja or lagos versus even in kigali rwanda versus when i'm sitting in johannesburg or durban the, the mindset and approach is fundamentally different mm. Mm. so it's interesting to see how can we better get the skills we require for our environment to succeed mm. but one that underpins all of them is that of patience mm. one of the one of the main things that everyone is sort of searching for i guess at the emphasis stages some it goes to the latter part of their lives is their purpose mm. um how 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 do i go about this because i think what i've always said to people is i think sharing my own little experiences that i sort of found my purpose in not being stagnant right mm. so i was doing stuff i failed in different things multiple things all the time tried different things but i sort of look back and i'm like had i decided to do nothing and wait for whatever it is that i thought was the opportunity suited to me i would not have found this moment mm. do you sort of what are your thoughts on that so i like to borrow from the japanese here right so the concept of um, purpose from the japanese is called ikigai reason for being and it's where what you're good at what the world needs what you get paid for um and what you love where those four converge is your reason for being i think people need to surrender the concept that your purpose is a destination mm. you're constantly moving in purpose and for me i think what my purpose is as vumile at 35 versus what my purpose will be as as vumile at 55 versus vumile at 85 will be fundamentally different things right so when you're looking at your purpose it starts back to basics what are you good at what comes naturally like breathing to you what do you love you know what world problem would you solve if you had unlimited resources and what can you get paid for understanding those four starts pointing you in the direction i remember i was working at one of the banks and I was really really good at at operations but I used to live for the weekends cuz on the weekends I'd go to Altmont and Soweto and I teach there was something and I was teaching English there was something about poetry and I just loved it so much but in what I was doing at work I wasn't allowed to teach so there was already a little bit of a of a flag to say listen maybe you should start looking at a space where education is important that's probably why i haven't stopped studying mm, mm. is because i actually really love learning and being taught i love teaching and i love learning mm. so that forms part of my purpose but i wouldn't have known then for sure that i was going to become a coach so i think going back to basics and also stop waiting for this ex- moment of ecstasy where it's like ah oh, the angels are singing my purpose is now fulfilled your purpose will be fulfilled when you die mm So get comfortable with that sometimes the contentment that quiet space of ah oh, that was a good day it was a day where purpose was fulfilled not this moment of ecstasy that we all seem to be chasing it's one of the reasons why you know we seeing 
um, you know, this what's this massive exit in America yeah. of, of people saying, I don't want to be a waitress anymore. I don't care. And we're seeing also, you know, with our Gen Z saying, actually, no, I'm not going to work. It means nothing to me because people are looking for a sense of meaning. Mm. And But also, I think there's a big role you play in giving things meaning. Hmm. So here's Vumila sitting in this extended board, exco, right, rather, mm. and you're feeling this deep seat, set, seated sense of um, an imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, over the years in running the businesses that you're running now, do you still feel it? Yes. And how do you how do you deal with it? I feel it all how the does time. One deal with it? Because it's one of the main things that keep coming up, you know. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with it? So it comes in waves, right? So. At certain levels, you get so comfortable, you know things. Like I remember recently I was addressing the African Union. And in my mind, I was like, who do I think I am? Mm. Me. I'm going to tell presidents what they should be doing in their countries around jobs on the continent. Mm. And it hit me so bad. I was supposed to speak. And I remember I started speaking in Zulu. English was gone. (laughs) I was like, you, George, come back, come back. And I went straight to default settings. So imposter syndrome does hit. But the question I always ask myself when it's imposter syndrome is why? Mm, mm, Why mm. is this happening? Where is this coming from? And who is it meant for? Because I would try reassure myself with the fact that by, by virtue of the fact that I'm in the room means I'm worthy of being in the room. Mm, mm. And I also have to keep on reminding myself that Adulting is everyone pretending they know what they're doing. We're all winging it. Yeah. Uh, finally, I, I meet someone who... <laughs> I love you. You are... Yeah. If you miss what she said, rewind. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I think you touched on something you, that, are, that I've always sort of... that I've always sort of said, right? Um, but no, just just... Just let us in on, do you have a coach? Do you have, yeah. um, I don't know, a coach, a mentor? Mm. Who are these and how? what was the process of you selecting them or engaging them to assist you? So, yeah, I've got several coaches. Um, I've got Bodhi uh, Lala, who is my transformation coach. So, you know, we, we're constantly dealing with our childhood issues. Mm. And our inadequacies, our impo- things that make us feel like we're imposters or we're not good enough. So she works a lot with me regarding that. I have Hetty, who has been amazing from a business monetization perspective. Because, you know, you, we don't always have the skill set. She might be great at what you do, but you don't know how to monetize. Yeah. And business is important, guys. You yeah. know, Africa's playing catch up, so we've got to secure the bag. So she she coaches me with that. Our city does my spiritual coaching. Because even in my spiritual journey, Kuku also helps me with that. I'm not necessarily where I'm wanting to be, as aligned as, I'm, as I'd like. So they coach me in those different arenas. And then when it comes to mentors, I've got, qu- I've got quite a few. I've got Louis, who's fantastic. He's from Congo. He's fantastic with property. That even making those kind of decisions, he supports me yeah. and uh, uh, helps me because he's further down the journey than I am in 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 in, in what's what 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 are some tips and tricks that have worked for him um Yolanda really also assists me from the philanthropic perspective as to where I'm trying to get to um Mam Cindy, there are a number of people who, from a mentorship perspective, assist me. How do I identify when I need a coach or a mentor? Um, it's about the gap. I'm here. Where am I trying to be? And when I see what that gap is, I know who I need to plug into mm. to assist me. So that's that's how I I yeah. choose. Because you so I uh, sort of I ask that because majority of the time. I've ever spoken to, and primarily, majority of the time I speak to entrepreneurs, startups, small business. Mm. And all the time, they sort of indicate to, I need a mentor in, because they're in the printing space, a printing space. Uh, they're in banking, I need a, a mentor in the fintech or in the banking space mm. or and so forth. And, you know, my view has always been, it's strange because... I don't, I don't, uh, it's strange because I don't have a mentor in my industry disciplines. It's very rare that I do, you know. I've always found value in having a mentor who runs 
who's the board chair of a fintech and I'm nowhere close to fintech because I've always found that it is them in asking the whys and the how mm. that sort of shifts. And I think it sort of lines up with the quotation that you shared, which is a miracle is a shift in perception, mm. right? When did your perception shift? Is it something that happens once? Or is it, a, is it a consistent shift as you open yourself up to more learnings, more experience, more engagement? It happens consistently. Because, you know, as you realize that certain knowledge that served you no longer serves you and you're able to release it, that's a shift for me. So it, it happens consistently. And I agree with you, by the way. I have never had a mentor who's a career coach. When I started my business, career coaching didn't exist. Mm, in mm. any of the businesses I've gone into outside of property, where, you know, I suppose my granddad was my first mentor because he gave me the blueprint. I've, I've sort of, you know, cre I've created space where I, where I want to be. The closest is probably maybe Helen Nicholson, who is also in a training space and she's now a business partner as well as a mentor. But she's never... I've never had someone do exactly what I do, say to me, oh, hey, here's how I did it. I haven't had that. I think there's great value in, in picking up from different industries. And for me, that also allows you to constantly be shifting. But that's also one of the reasons to say, you know, you never read the same book twice because you're a different person every time you read it. Mm. So for me, as I journey on my entrepreneurship pathway, I'm never the same entrepreneur. So my flexibility, my approach is constantly shifting and improving and learning and unlearning and relearning certain aspects. So for me, it's you, you're constantly there because I'm yet to meet a true entrepreneur who says, oh, that was great. Thank you so much. I'm done. Mm. Most entrepreneurs, they done when they get in the box. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's... That's that's very powerful and very 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 true. I actually lost my train of thought there, um, but now just but now just tell me Vumil, right? So here you are, you're in this coaching space, and back then when you started, there's no one who's a coach, right? How difficult was it to sort of navigate a terrain? Because if I'm opening up a mortal space, I can sort of identify, go into Google, I sort of look at their websites, then advise my designer, my team, and mm. so on and so forth. But now you're going into a space where there's almost no relatively available reference points. How difficult was that? You know, because yeah. especially now in this new age of AI and, you know, blockchain and all these um, new things that COVID has now brought to us, um, you find that you've got entrepreneurs or individuals that are now charting territories that are unfamiliar or they're new. How difficult was it and how did you sort of anchor yourself as you sort of were winging it each and every day? Yeah, it was rough, guys. I can't even lie. It was really, really challenging because you're not only serving, you're educating. So people come with you with complete misconceptions and what helped a lot was making sure that I engaged clients, one from an experience perspective. So I did lots of free experiential group coaching sessions so people can have a taste to see what it is that being coached by me is. And, that, and that's a model, you know, we carry even now. So even now, because people still don't really get it, when you say career coach, what does that mean? Mm. So that's what so we use social media. So Mondays, every Monday... At 6 p.m., I'm doing Instagram live lessons around the topics that we actually do. So people are like, oh, that's what you do. Mm. And then I also had to go mainstream. That's why I was on radio, why I'm on radio, why I, do t I did TV for a while, why I write. So people can start being educated. Then they're like, okay, now I know what she's talking about. Now I'd like to test drive the experience. Mm. And it's also interesting because the markets relate, uh, engage completely differently. Nigeria is very big on personal development. So they're like, where do I sign? I remember my first client when I, when I could not believe I was making that much money in dollars. Could not believe. Then I get home and people were like, no, I like what you're doing. How much? I don't like. Mm -mm, it's not going to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, no, we don't pay for that. Get my company to pay for that. Which means I've got to re-look at my strategy. To say which companies are actually mm. interested 
in in ensuring that their staff is empowered. And and companies are like, yeah, empower them, but don't career, they're going to leave. Mm. Right? So who your client is now is now changes. It's no longer the person who's experiencing the service, it's the person signing the check. Mm. So that that ability to adapt to the different markets was as was Difficult. It was challenging, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And you know, beautiful chat. That's the nice thing about chatting to you. You, I think I don't know. There was no memo sent out, but I think you read it. <laughs> <laughs> because one of the key challenges, um, you know, that a lot of us as entrepreneurs face is pricing, and I think more so when you're charting out a new space, mm-hmm. right? And I guess you sort of touch on it in, you know, you made so much money charging a US-based client. And when you sort of come back home and you want to build the same, it's like, hey, Nkosiam, this is a mm. lot of cash. How do you get to that? And I guess, so it's, it's, it's a two-part question. How do you get to costing your products the way that you believed was the right way? And what did it take for you to say, my price is my price? So that's one of the reasons you diversify your revenue. So you don't act from a place of hunger. Mm. So for me, initially, I was happy and I don't advise this forever. I was happy, you know, doing pro bono work for experience. Then when I was able to correctly count the value for my customers then I was saying, now you've seen the value. Now this is how much I price. And it's something that's, you know, from a corporate, pers- from an individual perspective, we're constantly re-looking at. Yeah. The hardest thing I had to, because I also came, you know, with a little bit of arrogance, could say, that's my price. And then the South African market will humble you. <laughs> then you're like, that's my price, but let's work on a payment plan. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll, lay by. we'll lay by this thing. And I've had to be a lot more flexible in that. And I've seen it make a huge difference. Like, you know, we've just finished our career accelerator program. And if you say you had so many people paying 8,000 Rand for a two-month program out of their own pocket. If I say that to my friends in, in, in Nigeria, they're like, I beg, I beg, I beg. Such small money. But in the South African context, it's like, bro, that's two months rent. Mm. People mm. sacrificed. So you can't come to the party and be like, what do you mean you don't have that in savings? Mm. When you are in a country where someone is one point, um, one point four months away from poverty, that's the reality of the country I find myself in. So I need to look at my market and bring, I suppose, that element of Ubuntu, of okay, I can see where you are. It's okay. We'll do a thousand, a thousand, a thousand. Or actually, you know what? You might not be able to pay for that program. But I've got another alternative. Here's a, here's a masterclass that's 500 rand that will start getting you on your way. So you can start, because some, some of my clients, I worked with them like that. I've had you know clients who've been cleaners who didn't have money, where they'd only come for a masterclass. And then when they've got a bit more money, for me, I've saved, I'm ready for one-to-one. And they implement, as they're implementing, they're seeing the value. So they're more willing to pay. Mm-hmm. And also that now it takes a great deal of you having confidence in your product. To say, no, take it, just try this once. And then people come back because they're like, oh, it really does work. You, the way my boss spoke to me, for me, some people just come to me every year for for salary negotiations. Mm. Without fail, I'm like, okay, oh, so what you, oh, the banks are negotiating because I know mm. they're going to come. Mm. To say, for me, remember last year we tried, now I just need them to push a little bit mm. because they've seen that it works. But you have to bring that sense of remembering why you're doing what you're doing. Are you doing it for the money or are you doing it because it's your calling and it's your purpose? But also respecting yourself well enough to know that the value I bring is a great deal of value. So I'm not going to shortchange you or my purpose or myself. How can we, how can we meet in the middle? Now, here's, now, Vumi, you did quite a, quite, you did quite a lot of media work which is why I think this question is best suited, right? Um, when When is it being taken advantage of? And when is it exposure? <laughs> Be, being paid in exposure, the right? <laughs> You're exposure. You, 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 you. 
Yeah, nah. Yeah, it's real. Uh, it depends on your strategy. So I will use um, one of the radio stations I work for. I remember trying to get into radio. And I remember I had to phone a friend who was a former radio station manager in another province. And I was like, bro, I'm trying to, I'm trying to crack it in South Africa. I volunteered my time every single week for a year for free. And then when I went to the radio station to say, hi, let's talk about the, the coin now. They said, no, thank you. I'd built such a base the listeners phoned in demanding to find out where I was. Mm. And that's when I started getting paid. Mm. Mm. So mm. I, had a fi- I had a time period. I said, it's one year. Every time I've engaged, whether I'm writing, like whether I was writing for Better Niger or Business Day Nigeria, I had a time period. And then I also had to see what is the return on investment for me. Mm. When I could see was, oh, every time I write for a business day, actually MTN now calls me or this is what's happening in Nigeria, I can see the return on investment. If you don't know what your metrics are, you aren't going to get paid in exposure. Mm, mm. When you've got clear metrics, you get paid in exposure. Mm, so when the exposure mm. is no longer paying, you're going to have to say, guys, how much am I getting? And then you need to get comfortable walking away. Yeah. Yeah. Because you need to use media, not media use you. Yeah. That's not how this works. Yeah. Now, Vumi, you're a coachee. You're someone who engages quite a number of people. And most of the time, it becomes very difficult for us to utilize firing in the context of dismissing or firing clients. Um, have you have have you ever been in a position where you've had mm-hmm. to fire clients? Uh, oh, very frequently. Mm. So remember that as a coach, the first session is usually a chemistry session. That's to see if I like you. Yeah. Do you like me? Because the work we're doing is very vulnerable work. And if we don't like each other, it's not going to work. So you'll be surprised at how often I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't take you on as a client. I do, however, have a series of other coaches that work for me that I collaborate with that can probably be best suited. Mm. You'll be very surprised. And I get to the point specifically with one-on-one coaching where it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of energy because these people that you coach, you hold in your spirit, hey? Mm. They don't leave Mm. your office and you're like, yeah, okay, bye. That's not how it works. So the amount of prep work, not just like people think, oh, you just look at their CVs and you know. Even from a, I th- you know, from, I'm a big believer in spirituality that things get created in the unseen before they become formed here. Mm, mm. I pray every time I'm about to engage coaches. I know, and remember that most coaching contracts are 10, they're, they're across the 10 sessions. So usually you start in February, you end in October. That's a year commitment to somebody. Mm. It's a lot. So you really have to feel that this works. I've had people I've reimbursed. Where I'm like, actually, can I give you your money back? Because this is definitely not going to work. Mm. Um, I've recently also had to fire someone I was working with for three, four months. Because you're not doing the homework, which means you're wasting my time. Mm. So engaging you makes me feel inadequate. And I know I'm not inadequate. Mm. Mm. So let's, mm. rather, let's rather close the relationship and you come back when you're ready to do the work. Because coaching is hard work. I'm asking you to bring, bring down your luggage unpack and take accountability mm. so it might not be your narcissistic boss it might be you who's addicted to toxic situations now i've got to sit across the table and tell you this mm. sure and i mean yeah no that's uh yeah that's 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 a heavy but i think it's a necessary conversation to anyone who's listening to this to engage because mm-hmm. oftentimes we stay in these situations and I think you touched on something amazing or just mind-blowing, right? To say, sometimes when you sort of view situations, or view them as being external. So someone is doing this to me, mm. but never that I'm the one who's actually causing and who's stirring up um, the chaos in and around me. 
And I mean, when you sort of engage someone in and around them being the ones who are causing and stirring up this chaos, how is it met with? Because I mean, I'm just shocked sitting here. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I'm not, not that rough. <laughs> I could never think of myself as being terrible, but I guess. You're an angel. You and your mother believe you're an angel. Uh, <laughs> no, it's hard. It, it's, it's not an easy thing. But remember, we're working over a period of time. Yeah. So I can see it day one of our session. But I can't be like, yeah, listen, you're the problem. Coaching, it means I'm working with you where you are to help you realize where you're needing to be mm. and what those stumbling blocks are. So it's a process and we commit to the process and we work together for sure. But people are, are often very shocked. And that's the one thing that's the, always the number one feedback. Your coach, I didn't know it was me. Yet you are the one consistent thing throughout all your when every time you get a job, every time, your boss is a problem. Mm. Mm. What about you is attracting that? Mm. No, every time you're the one who gets bullied. Come on. Yeah, there's, there's more to it. There's more to it. Yeah. So you're the only one getting bullied. And when I start, and I always say this, look around, how is everyone else being treated? Now, Vumi, tell me something, right? Um... So we caught up in this COVID-19 bubble, right? And um, I mean, you just came off an accelerator program of 30 participants. How, 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 you know, I think one of the key things that you sort of touched on is how coaching is, some some of the coaching sessions that you run are face-to-face, -face, they're physical contact sessions. No, 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 they're one-to-one. -one. I didn't say face-to-face. -face. Sorry, one-to-one. -one. Yeah. So how have you evolved your business then in that sense? So I've been fortunate, and people are always surprised by this. I've been very, very fortunate in that I generally have had to retrain my corporate clients. So the Investex, the Vodacoms, where they were like, okay, we go online. My individual clients have generally mostly been online so i've been i've been on zoom for a while i've been online for a long time sure so it used to predominantly be telephonic because usually it's that first session where you need to see each other but thereafter people i can't be when i'm in rwanda you are you are in nigeria and you need me it's usually going to be telephonic mm. So mm. it's usually the first session where we see each other. Thereafter, we continue telephonically. But now, obviously, we've gone a lot more video conferencing. Mm. So my coaches who've been with me for years are quite comfortable. Sure. Wow. Um, I think in wrapping up, um, how do we get in touch with you before I ask you the last? I don't want to leave that for last because <laughs> we definitely need you. Um, so you can find me on social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Clubhouse. And my name is Vumi, V-U-M-I, like a car, Vum Vum, Vumi, Msweli, dash career coach. So you'll find me, but usually Instagram, I'm very, very good. You can literally pop me a DM. And most people who, who follow me automatically get a message with the free ebook and past live content to help you sort of catch up and help position yourself. Guys, free ebook. And every Monday, right? Every, every Monday, Monday, yep. Um, she hosts a live unpacking various topics that are all linked to the professional work that she does. And I guess that in and itself, it's, it's actually cost work that you're accessing <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> at, at, uh, at no cost. Vumi, what are, what are your, I don't know, parting words, whatever's in your heart, thoughts in and around, whether it's the state of our country from a career perspective or any other, what's in your heart? What would you love to share with anyone other to improve, to change, to grow from, to start doing? Yeah, so I think, you know, like, because we've been talking a lot about COVID, right? And I find it fascinating, so I suppose let's do a throwback to when COVID started, it started in, in China. And if you look at the Chinese word for crisis, it's two characters next to each other, danger and opportunity. And in looking at the crises we've seen that have gone before us, that's when most people became multimillionaires because they chose not to look at the danger but face the opportunity. In this shifting world where, you know, if you're sitting in South Africa, unemployment is sitting at 44%, you are petrified because of the crisis. What are you going to look at? Are you going to be paralyzed with fear because of the danger? 
Or are you going to choose to see the opportunity? And if you choose to see the opportunity and you don't see it, how are you going to create one for yourself? Because you're the CEO of your career. You're the CEO of your life. There's no one who's coming to save you. You're it. You are the Calvary you've been waiting for. So seize the opportunity, create the opportunity, and have a life and career that completely fulfills you. Sure. That's... I wanted to ask more questions. But that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, is Vumile Mswili. Look her up on social media. Follow her. Follow her work. I'm definitely going to host you somewhere else. We'll <laughs> chat about it. Thank you for tuning in. Share the podcast. Um, engage it. Get in touch with us. Have a beautiful day, evening, or afternoon. That's it for today. If you like that podcast, show us some love and share it with your network. Once again, follow us on all of our social media platforms, hashtag join us for tea, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Shout out to Joe Public for making this possible. Remember, Sisonke Rikaufela and Foster Njengom Zegezege.